That's so good. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the good perfecter of faith. Because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. God, I need to fix my eyes on you. I so easily get my eyes fixed on all that's wrong or on my own pain or my own fear. And I lose sight of you. Sometimes circumstances roll in like dark clouds and I can't see you very well. But I pray, God, that even in the darkest of times, we fix our eyes on the one who in nothing but goodness and love went to a cross in our place. Knowing that you, God, would rise him from the dead. And if you did that for him, you promise to do that for us. That there is no storm that lasts forever, but all who put their faith in you, you will rise again with you. So I pray for fresh hope to go down deep within us. And that from that deep place, we can sing all my life you've been faithful. Because of who you are, despite all that's going on around us. So Lord, build up comfort and courage your people this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 You guys may have a seat. Whew, I could have stayed in that place for a long time though, I think. Thank you, Michael. Well, good morning again, everybody. Um, I, we, we get the chance to start a new uh, sermon series today. Um, that, that I, I'm really pumped about. I'm really pumped. It's going to be it's going to be fun, and I think it's going to be really encouraging for us. But before we get to that, just to get our brains going, I want you to take a moment and just think: what is who is one person that in your mind just exemplifies extraordinary faith? Somebody maybe who's done amazing things for God. Like it could be somebody from the Bible. It could be somebody from church history. It could be somebody you know personally. But who in your mind is an example of extraordinary faith through whom God did extraordinary things? You know, you, you could think of like, like David in the Bible who slayed the giant. Or, or Peter you know, who preached that first sermon at Pentecost and, and saw the birth of the first church. Or in church history, you can think of Martin Luther 500 years ago who brought about gospel reformation in an age of corruption. Uh, Billy Graham preached to millions. Mother Teresa moved ministry among the dying in Calcutta, India. Right? It could be somebody that you know personally even who had a tremendous impact on your life. But, but who is that person? You got somebody in mind? All right, we're naming it out loud here. Okay, now what if I told you, with that person in mind, that God can and wants to do extraordinary things through you too? Now, if you're anything like me, 
My first response to that, when I had the heroes of the faith in my mind, my first response to that is like, like, who am I that God would use me like he used them? Right? I'm, I'm, I'm not much here. Right? I'm... I, I struggle with sin. I can be very selfish. I, I mess up at times. Like, not exactly stuff of legends. Right? Like, who am I that God would use me? I'm just ordinary. And really, that's true. I mean, does God love us with a limitless love? Yes. Are you made in God's image and endowed with dignity from him? Yes. But are we extraordinary super saints? Well, I, I don't even know what that means, but I, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't put myself in that category at all. But neither was the small shepherd boy, David. Neither was the brash fisherman, Peter. In fact, when we start to read about the mighty heroes of the faith in Scripture, They were all quite ordinary. And actually, many of them, we would say, is just the opposite of the kind of person we would think God could use. Yet, they were called by an extraordinary God. And so are you, and so am I. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God didn't make all of us to slay giants like David or to preach like Billy Graham or to live in Calcutta, but he has called you to where you are for such a time as this. And while, yes, we may be ordinary people with struggles and limitations and doubts, but we serve an extraordinary God who has purposes prepared in advance for us to do. And so we're going to be spending... The next seven weeks, in a series we're calling Extraordinary, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Purpose. We're going to be sending the next seven weeks saying, God, what are your purposes for me? And, God, give me the faith to step out in those. And each week of this series, we're going to be looking at a story of somebody in the Bible who, though quite ordinary, was used by God in an extraordinary way. Some of them even said, and I think we'll see one next week, like, like, God, who am I? Who am I to be used by you? But, oh, God did. And today, we're going to be looking at an Old Testament story of a woman named Ruth. Ruth was a young widow from a foreign country who lost her husband and could have easily assumed God didn't care about her. Yet her sacrificial decision to remain loyal to her widowed mother-in-law, Naomi, leads her to not only discover who her God is for her in the midst of her storm, but his extraordinary purpose for her. And Ruth's story is tucked into the Old Testament between two much larger books, the book of Judges and 1 Samuel. And so if you want to turn there with me, it's actually on page 210 of the Blue Bibles in front of you. But just like Ruth herself, if you're flipping through the Old Testament too fast, you'll just overlook her story. But her story's beautiful. And I think you'll find it a great encouragement to us today. But as we dig into it, The question that her story begs of us is, when the storms of life come, 
And they do. When those situations happen in our lives that, that, that say, I don't even know if God cares anymore. Or sometimes I'm even wondering if God may be against me. When we're going through stuff like that, who do we find our God to be? And how can we step forward in his purposes even then? But before we dive in, we pray with me. Lord, we, pro- we open our hearts and our minds. Whatever it is that you want to show us, come, show us, Lord. I just pray that our hearts would be receptive to you. And thank you, Lord, that no matter what we're going through, that you are never done. That we always have hope. And that you're a God who tells us every storm will end, but you never end. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you read Ruth's story, her story actually doesn't even start with her. It starts with this Hebrew couple named Elimelech and Naomi. And Elimelech and Naomi, it not only starts with them, but it also starts with heartache. Because to escape famine... Elimelech and Naomi leave their hometown of Bethlehem and they take their two sons, Malon and Kilion, to a foreign country called Moab. But there, Elimelech suddenly dies. And Naomi is left with two sons. Well, those two sons then marry two Moabite women named Orpah and Ruth. Here comes Ruth in the story. But ten years later, those two sons die. And this is just the first five verses of this story, leading to go, what's next, right? But but you see it, right? For Naomi, it's just been tragedy after tragedy, heartbreak after heartbreak, that she comes from like the people of God, Israel. She's a believer in God, but in this moment, can you imagine how she's feeling? Some of you don't have to imagine. Some of you have a really good idea how she's feeling, because you've been through Similar things. But what do you think she's experiencing? See, when a storm comes suddenly and leaves devastation in its wake, our faith in God and his care for us can begin to grow dark. And just to get how dark it had become, we need to realize that, that, that Naomi at this point has, has nothing left. First, For a woman in that society, your husband and your sons, they were the ones who protected you. They took care of the property. They provided for you. So now that they are gone, all of that is gone too. The status of women in that society was even lower than that in Jesus' day. The The wives had few rights of their own. Husbands were their security. So imagine how much worse that would be for a widow. And as a woman, you could garner respect if you had a son. But now both her sons are gone, and she's beyond her childbearing years, so no one will want to marry her again. She, lit- she has nothing left. And to make matters even worse, it says that she lived in the days when the judges ruled. And if you know anything about Israelite history, this is a period of of evil, little stability, murder, rape, pillage were the order of the day. The, The book of Judges says it was a time when men did whatever was right in their own eyes. So she is vulnerable, impoverished, in a dark time, leading 
Okay, she, she did have Orpah and Ruth in her life. Great, but, but they were still young enough to marry again, to have a family, with, you know, go someplace else. And Naomi knew that if Ruth and Orpah came with her back to her hometown of Bethlehem, there's a very likely chance that they will never marry again, that they will live in poverty with her. And she couldn't stand that thought. So she urged them. She says, leave me and start and go back, to, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness. Underneath that, she feels like the Lord has not shown her kindness. You see, life's circumstances had swept over her like a merciless hurricane, leaving only tragedy in its wake. And as a result, she is isolated. She's confused. Why? What's happening? She's afraid. What's going to happen? Psalm 10.1 could express her lament. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? The storm clouds around her were so dark that at this point she couldn't feel like she could see God. Have you been there? Or maybe you know somebody who's been there. All week I've been thinking about a number of you in this church who have suffered significant loss over these last number of years. Being Mother's Day, I've been praying for those of you who... who like, haven't been able to have kids who, who lost your mothers recently or maybe even lost a child. Those are storms, big ones. Or a storm could look like financial ruin. It could look like struggling with depression. It could be a terminal diagnosis or a freak accident. And all that, like, tack on the fact of what's going on in our world. That we open the news and read yet another senseless shooting we see the plight of the poor, the cries of the needy, and we wonder too, why God? Why? That as Christians, we believe in something called the providence of God. Providence means that it's the belief that God is with us, that he cares, that he rules, that he provides. But in tragedy, the providence of God it doesn't feel so true, does it? Even somebody getting up here like me and saying, God loves you, it can almost make us feel angry because that doesn't feel true. And after Naomi returns to Bethlehem, she even tells him, she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Naomi meant pleasant. She said, call me Mara, which means bitter. Because after you go through something like she has, tragedy can begin to define us, can't it? Because that pain, that fear, that grief, that loneliness begins to feel more real to us than God himself. And it grows tough to trust that he's even with us anymore. The tragedy starts becoming this defining mark on our lives like a tattoo that we cannot forget. And in those dark moments, we may be tempted to do exactly what Job's wife told him to do. I Man, just curse God and die. Or as pain begins to define us, we may feel like joy just isn't possible for us anymore. Joy is for kids. Joy is for people who have left untainted by our cruel world. Even the message that God has an extraordinary purpose for you is heard more like a fairy tale for people here than real life. And I can't help but think maybe that's how Naomi, maybe even Ruth were feeling. 
Can you see that? But if you are there, if you've been there, if you know someone who is, know that Naomi's story is not over and neither is yours. That God's not done. And even if you are in the middle of it, what we see next in this story is that we cannot overestimate how God can use our sacrificial commitment to love another. That in chapter 1, it's, it's so dark around Naomi at this moment that she doesn't feel or can see God. But yet Ruth comes to her as a, just a, a, a glimmer of hope or a picture of who God might be. And that through many tears, Naomi urged Ruth and Orpah, go back and start families of your own. But Ruth wouldn't leave her mother-in-law. She has no legal obligation to her. She has plenty of reasons to leave her. But I want you to listen to Ruth's words, and not only to her words, but to her heart behind them, to Naomi. And you may have heard these words at a wedding before, but these aren't romantic words. They're words of, of just faithful, sacrificial love. Ruth replied to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Ruth still had a shot at a family. Everything they could see, Naomi didn't. And by vowing herself to an older widow like Naomi, Ruth was choosing a life of poverty for herself too. So Naomi wouldn't be alone. Ruth stepped into the storm with her. And why would she do such a thing? Only love. Only love. But as we read Ruth's story, this side of the cross, do you hear Christ's own words to you? For just as Ruth said, where you go, I will go, Jesus said, behold, I will be with you always. And just as she says, like, I will go with you, and she sacrificed her very self in that moment, it is Jesus who sacrificed his very life for us that we might be his. And just as she said, not even death will separate me from you, he says, Christ says that not even death itself will separate us from his love. And Ruth made this choice in love, but it was a risk, wasn't it? But how did God meet her in that? Well, when we step out in sacrificial love for others, we can trust God will be a refuge for us. Some of you guys, like, that's an amen moment for you. See, Ruth gave herself away in love to Naomi. But what I want us to see is that God was at work too. Because then once we enter Ruth chapter 2, now we have Naomi an elderly widow. We have Ruth, a young foreign, foreigner, also a widow, in Bethlehem. They have no protection, no provision. They're drained and on the move. They, 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 they're hungry. And so they sit down and they got to make plans, figure out where are we going to get some food. What's interesting is God's, you don't see the word God much in this story, but oh, God's there. God's there. The time of year is the barley harvest, 
And so the plans they make is Ruth says, I'm going to find the nearest field and I'm going to go behind the people harvesting and I'm going to pick up the scraps so that at least we have something to eat. It was a common way that many of the poor ate in that day. But it was risky because she was a woman going alone and any man could, could, could take advantage of her or could mistreat her. But as we make our plans, we can trust that God is already at work too. What she didn't know was what happens to be the barley season. The field she goes to happens to be the one of a guy named Boaz, who happens to be a relative of her deceased father-in-law, Elimelech. Coincidence or God's providence? And in kindness, Boaz sees her working in the field and he graciously invites her to stay and actually work with him for them. In return, he promised to provide and protect her and Naomi. So now in this moment, Ruth goes from in the beginning of the story to why God, to now she's saying to Boaz, why have I found such favor? Favor can be translated grace in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner, an ordinary, a nobody. Like why would you care about me? But yet she sees the kindness and the grace in this moment. But Boaz would make it clear Make it clear that he wasn't her savior, but the true God is. And Boaz said to her, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz is saying, this is God, not me, who is orchestrating and taking care of you. See, a refuge is a place of safety provision in the danger of a storm. Remember when I was nine or ten years old, my family was traveling up through northern Georgia on our way to Tennessee, and all of a sudden the storm came on, and I, I, I saw lightning like Fourth of July fireworks going off all around me, and I started freaking out. And we turned on the radio, and it started saying that multiple tornadoes were in that area where we were driving. And so my family hightailed it to a gas station. We parked outside, and then we all ran into the gas station and hid under the sink in the women's restroom. As a nine-year-old boy, I was like, who, who was in the restroom? But, but in the midst of that, too, I, in the, the fear, the adrenaline pumping, my heart pumping, all of a sudden, once we got into that place, I began to relax. It was our refuge in that moment. And Boaz is pointing out that the almighty God has been and is available to them as a refuge in their storm too. That even as Ruth made that sacrificial choice to step out in love for Naomi, that God was at work the whole time. He had them and he has us in the midst of the storm. Many of you know the name Corey Ten Boom, right? Some of you. Uh, she wrote that famous book, The Hiding Place. So maybe you're more familiar with that book. But during the, the Nazi occupation in the Netherlands, she and her family hid many Jews in their home until they could help them escape. But eventually, uh, because of their sacrificial love for their Jewish neighbors, the whole family was arrested. And Corey was sent to a concentration camp. And out of her whole family, she was the only one who survived. And when I hear that story, I can't help but go, I almost get offended for her. Like, what gives God? 
They were sacrificially loving their neighbors. They were doing your work. And all of a sudden, like, and that's what happens to their family? But that's not Corey's reaction. That instead of getting bitter, Corey said of Christ later, she says, I have experienced his presence in the deepest hell that man can create. I have really tested the promises of the Bible, and believe me, you can count on them. That even in the deepest hell on earth, she found God as a refuge for her. That bitterness didn't define her, but Christ was her refuge. And that's exactly what Psalm 46 talks about. As the storm rages around us, we can be still and know that he is God. That when, when the barrage of guilt starts coming at us, he is a hiding place. We find a hiding place in his grace. And in the chill of loneliness, he invites us into his embrace. And when tragedy strikes, our suffering Savior draws us close. And if we know that he has us, then that frees us to say, who do you want me to love? Who do you want me to serve? Who do you want me to show, be a picture of your love to? Because I know you got me. I can step out toward them. You guys following me? But there's one more thing for us to see. Because we not only see in the story God is an extraordinary refuge in it. But when the storms come, our Lord is a faithful redeemer who will rescue and lead us through it. Ruth's story doesn't end in chapter 2 as a servant in Boaz's field, but God has more for her. And Naomi realizes that Boaz, that relative, can also be what's called a guardian redeemer. Well, what's that? Well, Leviticus 25 explains that in that culture, when an Israelite like Naomi becomes poor, a.k.a. widowed, and sell some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem or buy back what they have sold so that there's always provision for those family members in the family. Because in that culture, family, including extended family, was everything. Right? And, and even if someone was widowed, it was the family's moral obligation to provide. And so again, it just happens to be that Boaz is a close family member. And if he chooses, he could choose to marry Ruth and redeem this property to provide for Naomi. So in Ruth chapter 3, Naomi and Ruth go to making plans again. Making plans. And Ruth decides she's going to take off her widow clothes. And she's going to put on some nice stuff, right? High-end stuff. And then she puts on the good perfume because she wants to go find and ask Boaz this very important question if he would be willing to marry her and be the guardian redeemer for their family. But you don't, women don't just get private audience with a guy like Boaz. And so she has to figure it out. And so she waits for a day in the harvest. You know, they have a lot of feasts in the harvest when Boaz is, eats a lot and he drinks a lot and he goes and lays down in the field. And so she decides, she, when he lays down in the field and goes to sleep, she's going to go lay down at his feet, which in that culture was a symbol of humility. She's not, she's not trying to come on to him in this moment, right? Like she just lays down at his feet, sign of humility. And so Boaz falls asleep. She lays down. All of a sudden he wakes up, freaked out, clearly, because there's a woman right there at his feet. And in that moment she asks him if he would be willing to not only marry her, but to redeem them. 
And Boaz, in chapter 3, agrees. And in chapter 4, devises a clever plan, goes before the town elders, buys Naomi's land to keep it in the family, makes it all official. Boaz and Ruth are married. Boom, go God. Right? So, that's a long story made really short. But that's not even the end. Because after Ruth and Boaz are married, they have a son named Obed. And what's beautiful is now Obed, Naomi, gets to help raise a son. But Obed happens to be the grandfather of the one we know as King David. And it's from David's line that would come our Savior, Jesus. (laughs) From a storm to just faithful love to extraordinary purpose. 1 Corinthians 2.9, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Do not underestimate just what simp- how God can use simple faithfulness to him. How he can multiply simple faithfulness for extraordinary purpose. But as we see in this story, As with all of Scripture, this isn't just about Boaz. But Boaz, too, is a picture of Christ for us. Because it is Jesus Christ who is the greater guardian redeemer. Who became one of us to free us from our debt of sin before God. Who might call us his own. And we see in this story God's unfolding plan with Boaz, Naomi, and Ruth. But do you realize that before the beginning of time... God had already orchestrated history to bring about the arrival of Christ to rescue us from sin's grip and evil's power. Boaz just paid a sum of money. But Christ paid with his own life our debt so that we might be free. Boaz married Ruth, but Jesus invites us to be members of his own family. Not because we deserve it, but because of the grace of God. And then he promises That one day Christ will return and all those who've rejected him will be judged. But all who have received him in, in this life will be welcomed into the life eternal beginning with what is called the wedding supper of the Lamb. We will be his forever. And while we are never promised a life without storms, we are promised that every storm will come to an end. And we are promised that he is forever. And so when the storms come, our God is our refuge in it and our Redeemer who leads us through it. And if God can meet Ruth in her pain and sorrow and lead through her, an ordinary person like Ruth, he can do the same for ordinary people like us. So where are we today? Come on, yeah. So where are we today? Where are you today? You may see yourself, I'm I'm in Ruth chapter 1 right now. Like Naomi, all I see is dark clouds. You're feeling the pain, the fear, the isolation, and the most real question to you is why, Lord? And if that's where you are today, you know what, that's okay. That's a good place to start. Many of the Psalms start from that very place. But if you're at a place where you're having a hard time seeing God, you're having a hard time believing God, What did Naomi need in that moment? She needed somebody to walk alongside of her and be a picture of God's love to her. 
And so if that's where you are, I want to encourage you. Let somebody walk with you. Let somebody come alongside of you. And if you don't have somebody, like this is what the church is meant to be for each other. We are family after all, spiritual family. We're forever family. But we're meant to walk along each other in the storms. Given a hard time seeing God, let somebody else be a picture of Christ to you. But maybe you would say, now I'm more in Ruth chapter 2. Like I'm starting to see, get some, I'm still struggling big time, but at least I'm open to God. Then I want you to, in this moment, turn to him, see him as the refuge that he wants to be for you. Be honest with him. But as we put our trust in him, we are, we are allowing him to be a refuge for us. He is our safest place. Or maybe you see yourself in chapters 3 and 4. God has provided you're experiencing his blessing. You're seeing his joy in big ways. And thank God for that. But my challenge to you is do you notice anybody who's lonely, afraid, confused, angry, going through it around you? Ask God, bring, God, bring somebody to my mind that I can be the person who walks alongside, that I can pray for, that I can support, that I can consistently love like Jesus and just see what God can do with that. Because when Ruth committed herself to Naomi, she had no idea how God would use her. And even in her life on this earth, she had no clue the extent of the extraordinary purpose that God would have for her. Did she? And we never know either how just as simple acts of faithfulness to God, in love, he can use in extraordinary ways. And I want to say, especially to a lot of the mamas in here, you're like, I don't know. Like I, every day, I just get another day. Like don't, don't under, over, uh, under, over. Don't discount how God can use you, right? For extraordinary purposes. You may never see them in your life. But God can multiply our faithfulness in ways we can only dream about. Amen, everybody. Let's stand up. Let's pray. Lord, oh, thank you that we get to be the church together. Thank you that we get to wrap our arms around each other and that none of us are meant to go through th these things alone. I pray, God, that if anybody in here is going through it, that they won't apologize for that. They won't feel the need to apologize for that. Not to others, at least but they will feel free to be able to open up their lives and say, hey, come, I need help. God, what I love about you is that even if I'm going through a storm and it's a storm that I created out of my own bad choices, that your grace is still there. God, that you are still the one who's, who, whose arms are open wide. And so God, I pray that we, no matter what we're going through, will consistently turn to you and allow you to be that safe place for us all the while trusting that you are the one leading us through it too. And Lord, for the, all of us, may you begin to give us names and minds and faces in our minds of maybe somebody else who's really going through hard times. And may we commit ourselves to loving one another in a way that can be a picture of Jesus. For your glory, for your honor, and your name, amen.